Hey, hey, welcome Disability Law Show. It is that time again. We are so thrilled to have you with us. By the way, uh, Tamara Gopian is here, courtesy Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP. She is the one you want in your corner. Man, I'm telling you, if you have a problem or an issue with an insurance company uh, going forward, if you've been cut off, told you're going to be cut off, or maybe asked to uh, appeal for the 300th time, uh, don't do it. Simply reach out to Tamara and her team. They will take care of you and set you in the right direction for sure. It's a, a trouble-free phone call, toll-free, obviously, right? one 855 5900 and help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll get to that email address in the inbox very shortly here because that's where we focus on quite a bit of the show, answering your questions through uh, through email. But we always start with a uh, case of the day or a week that was something you've been working on tomorrow. What do you say, pal? Well, so, John, we speak with a lot of people week in and week out, and we speak with people about their disability claims, uh, either through the process, you know, while they're still getting their benefits paid, or ultimately if their uh, benefits have been declined by the disability insurer. And of course, you know, these consultations are absolutely free. And my whole mantra is I want to just give people as much information as I can. And so I wanted to highlight a conversation that I had with someone this week, because it touches on so many things that we discuss on our show week in and week out. And so she's in her late 50s. She had been working for the same company for the last decade, uh, financial type work uh, with the client facing component. So why do I focus on that is because there's technical requirements and interpersonal social requirements that needed to be met. And the challenge was that she was having a really tough time meeting all of those uh, occupational requirements with uh, the combination of that and all of the health things that were going on. So she has physical health issues that were fairly longstanding, but what put her off work ultimately was uh, mental health conditions, uh, primarily due to workplace stressors. So she has some issues at work, essentially has a breakdown of sorts, uh, for lack of a better term. She's absolutely treated by her own treatment providers, including her family doctor, a psychologist, and a counselor. And they all recommend, look, you need to be out of that work setting uh, and take some time to heal and recover. And in the midst of all of that, of course, continue on with physical treatment providers as well, because that was also a profile of her condition. So she goes off work. She's approved for short-term disability benefits actually transitions to long-term. So hooray, she's passed over that hurdle to get mm-hmm. long-term disability benefits approved and paid and is now being met with the resistance around that two-year mark. So it hasn't quite gotten to the two-year point, but I can tell you that the last six or seven months, the insurance company has been very aggressive in their administration and adjudication of her LTD claim. And what do I mean by that? Aggressive in the sense that they are actually spending money on the file, John, because they want this benefit claim to come to an end. And they're spending money in the sense that they are trying to submit her through a bunch of different treatment providers and assessments and all of these different avenues to essentially have the meat on the bone, so to speak, to persuasively deny the claim on the basis that she can either return back to her own occupation or ultimately can go back to another work setting doing essentially the same job that she was doing. But let's not forget, the insurer has already approved and accepted that her profile meets the test of total disability. That is the first part of any policy for disability is, you know, are you totally disabled from your own occupation? And they've approved and paid on that basis. So I, you know, I look at this profile and, and frankly, I'm sort of scratching my head. Why now? What now? 
And it's because I can assure you that they want to resist her actually making that next hurdle, which is to get benefits approved past the change of definition in the policy. In other words, the insurance company does not want her on claim past that two-year mark because I think they expect, given her background, her education, her training, her experience, her various health issues, that she's likely to be on claim with them until the expiry of the policy. So that typically is until you're 65 years old. And for this individual, that's a number of years still until she gets to age 65. It's a little bit more nuanced than that, John. I mean, there's a lot of ins and outs of this. But one of the things that I thought were most egregious was they actually asked her some very detailed questions around her daily activities. And they said, and so she she cleverly asked them, well, why are you asking all these questions? They said, well, this will help us further investigate your claim. So this kind of a light went on in her mind. She thought, investigate? Are they going to investigate me? And mm-hmm. sure enough, that is exactly what they did. So they asked her to complete an activities uh, of daily living questionnaire. So it goes into like, what are you doing every day? What can you do? What can you not do? Very, very granular, you know, grocery shopping, laundry, interactions with friends, you know, do you drive? Are you reading? Do you spend time on the computer? Like very, very detailed questions. And then from there, they got an investigator to come out and uh, put some eyes on her. Now, here's the interesting part. (laughs) She actually lives in a very remote area. And so one of her neighbors came over and said, hey, by the way, do you know that truck that's down the street? They're watching you. So, So her and her neighbor actually knew that this investigator was out. And so she sort of thought, you know what? No, never mind. It's fine. She only went out one of the three or four days that this investigator was watching her. And of course, inevitably, the insurer has used that you know narrow period of time to say, hey, by the way, since you're able to do these things on this one day that we observed you, it must mean that you can work. It must wow. mean that you're fine. It, all of the things that we talk about. So it is absolutely not correct <laughs> that the insurance company has done this. And I've, I've, I've advised her as much, of course. And it's not correct for a whole host of reasons, but most importantly, it does give you a sense of a bit of entrapment, right? I mean, this doesn't seem like something that's really, uh, you know, by the books, so to speak. And certainly the analysis that flowed from that didn't make a lot of sense, which is why the insurance company has now asked her to do different treatment programs, go to this, go do some vocational training. We want to have you assessed by one of our own therapists. We want you to see one of our own therapists for treatment. And so, of course, she's still getting her benefits, but she knows she's heading in that direction where they are going to cut off her claim. So, of course, she reached out and she said, does any of this make any sense? And, you know, of course, I said to her, no, it doesn't make any sense. But be forewarned that this is likely where it's headed, that you want to make sure that you're getting lots of documentation from your own treatment providers about, first of all, the treatment that they're already providing you. So you don't need more treatment from the insurance companies, doctors, and whoever else they're sending you to, because you've got three people on your side already trying to treat with you with all your health conditions. And two, that they are still supporting that you're not capable of working And not just back to the stressful work environment that put her off work, but in any setting whatsoever, because that's really what the insurance company is looking at right now. So look, I think that ultimately it may be a situation where we need to get involved and actually get retained, John. But even if we don't, the beauty is I've had that opportunity to speak with her, to provide some context about, look, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. You know, your policy says if 
they ask you to do rehabilitation, you must participate unless there's a medical reason why you cannot. You know, we, we just went through a lot of the big concepts that we talk about on our shows. And, you know, she was just so appreciative at the end after we had a fairly long discussion. Obviously, I gave her my contact details and I said, I want you to keep me posted. So if there are other questions along the way, much like the individuals who email us and call us on our shows, who watch our shows, you know, I don't want anyone to feel sheepish about getting this advice and getting it at any stage in their disability claim, because then I can put it into context myself, my team members, and you know then if something were to happen with your disability claim, you can come back to us if you wish, or at least you've got the information in terms of what your options are at that point. And if it doesn't make sense, usually it's because it's not right. And if it's not right, then it is an opportunity to actually assert your rights by way of a legal claim. It just, I mean, I would never call it harassment, but when someone's trying to get better and they're doing treatments, and I know the insurance company's going to look for any way to, to get you off claim and save money. It's a business at the end of the day. I get that. I totally get it. It's, you know, I, I, we don't begrudge them that, but this has got to wear physically on the person who's already getting benefits, all this 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 poking around. I mean, uh, yes. how, where does it stop? That would drive me absolutely insane. And that was part of the profile, John. You, you hit the nail on the head. That was exactly the the reason why she contacted us. She yeah. said, I am so tired. She said to me, Tamar, I have seen, I think, three or four specialists that they had arranged through the insurer already. Um, now they wanted her to do another six sessions with some other therapist. She's like, I am. I have a hard time explaining all of my health issues to yet a new individual having to create that relationship with that new individual, reliving all of the reasons why I'm being treated for health conditions and so on. She's like, I'm exhausted. And so in the context of that, this is where her own team is so important because yeah. if the interactions with the insurance company in and of itself is causing health issues and preventing you from recovering, you really do want your own treatment providers to comment on that. Actually put it in a brief report and saying, look, I think whatever's going on with you insurance company is really uh, setting my patient back. Uh, I think we need to create some further boundaries or clarity or transparency around what it is that you require her to do and reaffirm that all of the health issues are being addressed by her own medical team because then it under, undermines why the insurance company actually wants these further treatment methods or mm -hmm. why is it that they're sort of continuing so to use your word john harassing her to this level and you're right it's to try and bring the claim to an end and bank on the fact that because this individual is so tired from dealing with the insurance company that they're not going to assert their rights. The last thing that people want to do at that point is actually say, hey, you know what? I'm going to actually pursue my rights by way of a legal claim. This right. is why our role is so, so important and why I really hope when people listen to our shows and talk to us and speak to us that they understand that this is a way to make it easier. Let it be my problem. Let it be the problem of my team. We deal with these things all the time. And then you absolutely can focus on your recovery and we will deal with the insurance company. With that, we're taking a short break. Get right into our emails. Feel free to send one along anytime. It might appear on a future show. How about that? It's 1-855-821-5900 to reach out to Tamar and the team. Always ready for a chat, man. You couldn't find friendlier people ready to help, and uh, they'll set you in the right direction for sure. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we're going to as we continue. After short break, more of the Disability Law Show is on the way. Hang on.
All right, welcome back. Thank you for uh, getting through the break and sticking with us. John Scholes here, as always. My pal Tamara Gilpian, Sam Firu, Tamark, and LLP, always ready to reach out and answer that phone call that you were going to send Tamar's way. She's brilliant. She's got a great team behind her. Just pick up the phone. Maybe they can help, and they'll tell you if they can't. They'll tell you straight up, but if they can, trust me, it'll be a phone call you definitely be sure, and uh, you'll be glad anyway that you made uh, once uh, once you make some contact. one 821 That is the number to do that, and the email address, help at disabilityrights.ca. There's also a place, a website actually made just for you. It's free. It's anonymous. You can access it on whatever device you're using, even a desktop or, or laptop or Chromebook. It's called MyDisabilityQuestions.com. Same type of thing. You can ask your questions, type them in, and it's got a searchable database. That's the way the algorithm works, which is kind of handy. So you can use that uh, freely and anonymously anytime, MyDisabilityQuestions.com. Manesh is our guy. says, uh, my brother has been off work for almost two years after he had a bad car accident. He's been dealing with different insurance companies for the car accident and for disability benefits. Bottom line is that his doctors are telling him he's not likely to ever work again, so he's decided to move out to B.C. to live with our mom. He heard that the insurance companies are uh, easier to deal with out in B.C. than in Ontario, and the law is on his side. Is this true, number one, and will my brother be compromising his disability claim in any way if he moves? Good questions. Really good questions, Manesh. And so the first thing that really came to mind when I saw this email, John, was to emphasize to our listeners that that we actually practice in BC as well. So we practice in BC, we practice in Ontario, we practice in Alberta, we've got a presence virtually everywhere across the country. And so you, you couldn't have found yourself a better law firm, frankly, if you ask me. Uh, yes, I'm biased, but you know, <laughs> to be able to navigate, right? This idea of, look, if I move, what happens? Uh, and the reason why this is important is because there are rules around where do you assert your legal rights, in which province, in which jurisdiction, and you want to make sure that that jurisdiction is made clear and that you actually have representation for from a lawyer who can represent you in the jurisdiction in which you're going to assert your legal rights. And so this idea of insurance companies being easier to deal with in Ontario than BC or vice versa. I chuckled a little bit on that one, John, because in my experience, they're equally good and equally bad, (laughs) whether you (laughs) take them from one province to another, in the sense that, you know, most of these insurers are also national, if not um, North American based uh, insurance companies, there's a couple that are even international, but the ones that we mainly deal with are national. And so the way that they approach the adjudication and administration of long-term disability benefits is a very similar across the provinces. The one thing that changes, though, is entitlements that are tied to that particular province. And so let me explain what that means. In Ontario, there's a whole no-fault benefit motor vehicle regime. And under that regime and legislation, Manesh's brother would be entitled to certain benefits from his own auto insurer when he is unable to work. And that complexity exists because there's a whole host of other laws relating to what happens with injury claims when you're involved in a motor vehicle accident. We do that type of work as well, John, because it's important work. And you can see oftentimes quite tied to the long-term disability benefits. It's tied in the sense that long-term disability benefits will typically acknowledge in some way that if you're getting benefits from other sources and possibly from an auto plan or government sources that are provincially uh, regulated, that there could be interactions or deductions that the disability insurer might get. 
And so in Ontario, you want to make sure that you're getting not only your no-fault benefits, but your long-term disability benefits, and potentially contemplating pursuing a personal injury claim or a tort claim, as we call it, against the driver or drivers or anyone who might be at fault for causing your injuries in that accident. So lots of different sources and avenues from a rights perspective that should be pursued in Ontario. In BC, it's similar, not the same, but similar in terms of regimes that exist in BC for individuals who have sustained a motor vehicle accident. But because Manesh's brother's accident occurred in Ontario, he would be under the Ontario regime, even if he were to move to BC. So the concern he's raised with us is, look, if he does move, and he needs to because he needs his support uh, system out in BC, I absolutely understand that. Could that compromise in any way what's happening with his claims in Ontario? And so just to speak about long-term disability benefits, typically it does not have an impact. Most LTD policies will have a provision that says, you know, if you're a Canadian resident, you know, if you meet these two or three requirements for eligibility, you are entitled to long-term disability benefits. Where it becomes more problematic is if people leave the country. So usually the policy will say if you're out of Canada for more than X number of weeks or months, then you are not entitled to long-term disability benefits either for the period that you're absent or not at all. And so if Manish's brother wants to make an informed decision, I absolutely recommend that he gets his hands on the disability policy, not the booklet, not the one that comes from your employer, the actual wording so that you can look carefully to see are there issues around a move from Ontario to BC as it relates to the entitlement for long-term disability benefits. One other thing I will add is that if he is receiving his long-term disability benefits, you want to be transparent with your adjuster or claims individual with the disability insurer to say, hey, I am planning on making this move. Can you please let me know if it's going to impact my disability claim in any way? The main thing I think that an adjuster would be looking for here, John, is to ensure that there's continuity of treatment. You know, let's not forget that the disability policy says, look, we'll pay you that LTD benefit if you're totally disabled pursuant to our policy, but you must also be getting appropriate treatment or be under the care of a physician or a doctor in order for us to release that monthly benefit. So, I can absolutely understand that individuals want to be around family when they are what sounds to be a fairly serious motor vehicle injuries and permanent. The words permanent are very, very serious. And so I I get that. But you want to make sure that you've also got treatment providers in place anywhere else you move to. So there isn't that gap in treatment and basically not giving the disability insurer an excuse to cut off your disability claim prematurely or on an improper basis. Again, guys, reaching out to Tamar anytime during our conversation or otherwise, one 821 5900 It's it's a good email, and I know I know another question along similar to those lines, which is often a follow up question right. is if I get these benefits tomorrow, um, disability benefits, are they always considered income? Do the benefits get taxed? Is there a way I can avoid it? You know that type of thing. It's the money question, right? Yeah, the money question. And it is an important one because these disability policies, it is a money policy, right, Sean? I mean, it, it, that is what they are defined as. It is an income support disability uh, plan that's meant to provide you income while you're recovering and dealing with your health issues. And so 
Could it be taxable? Could it be non-taxable? Yes, I have seen both. And usually the tax status of your long-term disability benefits are tied to who pays the premium for the disability plan. Is it you as claimant or employee? Or is it your employer? Is it some co-share situation? You want to understand that because if it's a taxable benefit, usually as in a taxable disability plan or health extended health plan, usually the tax status of your LTD benefits flow from that determination. Now, look, when most people get approved, John, they will get an approval letter that says you're being approved for X dollars. This is how we calculated your long-term disability benefits. It's usually a percentage of what you were making before you became unwell. Typically, it's two-thirds. I'm mm-hmm. lately seeing some, you know, formulas about, you know, being covered by for a certain amount of your income and some calculations around that. You want to understand very, very clearly how that's been calculated. Make sure that it is correct. And the insurer will tell you in that approval letter if your benefits are taxable or non-taxable. If they don't, it's absolutely fair to ask your adjuster because... You can see if you're approved for $3,000 a month, John, but then that's going to be reduced by even a 30% tax rate, then you're going to have a lot less take home month over month until you remit your taxes and you know, then possibly get some of that back by way of a refund from the government. You're better off trying to maximize those dollars fully through the year and not have to deal with those tax issues. But if it's a taxable plan, it is what it is. What I'm getting at though is that there are ways to actually reduce the taxability even for a long-term disability taxable benefit. So getting really technical here, but there is the disability tax credit. And a lot of the people who come and speak to us, John, or who are even our clients are not even aware that there is this avenue that they can pursue. And it is an application to the government that says you've got a disability that's severe and prolonged, very similar to the criteria for CPP disability, which is something else that we talk about a lot on the show. And if you are approved by the government, it reduces the tax status and percentage of taxability on any income, quote unquote, that you receive. So if you've got a taxable LTD benefit, there's a lot more incentive, I would imagine, to pursue this disability tax credit and reduce the taxability or or the reduction that's happening with your monthly disability benefit. Because that's really what needs to happen, right, John? The the disability insurer, pursuant to the CRA rules, has to withhold whatever the taxable amount of your LTD benefit is. So you don't get your hands on that as a claimant who has a taxable disability plan. And so you then need to make sure that you're doing everything that you can from a tax perspective to reduce that taxability and get some of that money back. But as I always say, I am not a tax lawyer. So you want to make sure that you get good advice. But the starting point is really understanding very clearly how your benefit is calculated and what you're taking home. And if it's being taxed, whether there are avenues for you to reduce that taxation. I want to get on to, uh, to May. May's got a cool email. It says, my brother is an account manager for a financial institution. This is the only his second job after he graduated from university with a business degree. About a year ago, his health started to decline. He was sleeping and tired all the time. He found it hard to concentrate on his work and would develop a headache any time he tried to do a moderately complex task like typing an email. At first, his doctor thought it was due to poor kidney function, which he was diagnosed with, but treatment for that hasn't helped. He's now being referred to a specialist for a diagnosis for chronic fatigue. Because he has not yet been diagnosed, the insurance company has denied his short-term disability claim, saying there is insufficient medical evidence. 
My parents and I are supporting him for now, but I'm worried about my brother's future if he can't get back to work. Should we be pushing uh, his work for the insurance company to pay his disability benefits? Key words there, right? Diagnosed and evidence. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And so, May, if you think that your employer can move the needle with a disability insurer, then sure, by all means, go ahead and try that path. But if the disability insurer for short-term disability benefits is actually paying, will ultimately pay the short-term policy or claim, I'm not sure how much influence the employer is going to have on the approval of the short-term claim. So let let me take this a step back, John, and explain this. Some short-term disability policies are payable by the employer. And when they're payable by the employer, they may have a third-party company, could be an insurance company, could be just an administration company, looking at the disability claim, giving advice to the employer about whether or not it's a payable claim. And on that basis, the employer will release the money, the, the, the compensation, the benefits amount. Now, if it is not that setup, in other words, if it is in fact the disability insurer that pays short-term disability, it may explain why there's been greater resistance on her brother's claim actually being approved. Because when it's the insurance company's money, John, they're going to be that much more motivated to try and find reasons not to approve. And so what they've done is somewhat classic in the sense that I see this a lot. And the excuse that's being used, at least uh, from a front-facing perspective, is they've said, look, there's just not enough information here, not enough evidence to support why May's brother can't be doing his job. And frankly, that doesn't align with what the courts have said, John. The courts have said that if you've got symptoms that impact your function, that prevent you from doing certain things in your life, that include work, by the way, then you must qualify for disability benefits. That's actually what total disability means under the realm of disability policies and these kinds of inquiries. So, I think what's happening here is that you've got a lot of nonspecific symptoms, very heavily subjective basis, but if they are medically supported and they are preventing May's brother from working, then he absolutely has a valid disability claim. I want to comment on one other thing, John, but let's take our first break. You bet. May, stand by. The rest of your answer is coming up. A uh, robust one, by the way, if you didn't notice. So that's always why you want to tune into the show. In the meantime, you can send an email along anytime to Tamar and her team, help at disabilityrights.ca. And the phone call is always a great idea. Have that, uh, you know, live chat, 1-855-821-5900. We continue. This is the Disability Law Show. Hang on. And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking around the Disability Law Show Weekly. We talked to Tamara Gobian, Sanfiru Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. If you are having pain, panic, and strife from dealing with a large insurance company, being cut off, being told to appeal, getting harassed in some sort of way, and your wit's end, end of your rope, what do you do? You reach out to Tamara and her team. At least start off with a chat, right? Break some bread on the phone. It's really easy to get some uh, some proper direction. one 855 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. I uh, want to pick up where we left off tomorrow talking about May's situation. What do you think? So what May has described to us is something that's very familiar in the sense that you've got a lot of resistance by disability insurers on subjectively reported symptoms and claims. And disability insurers, if they can't see it on a scan, John, or if they can't have a set time frame where this disability claim might close, then they are that much more reluctant to approve the claim because it just doesn't fit within their model, right? Of, okay, we're going to approve for three months and then you're going to be back at work. And I wanted to pick up on this because 
this translates to lots of different types of conditions that we see, John, where disability insurers are denying claims. She mentions chronic fatigue. This comes up even with mental health claims. Chronic pain absolutely is in this category. Fibromyalgia is in this category. And so it becomes that much more important for the medical information to really comment on the symptoms. And I think that it sometimes can be a real barrier for disability insurers when all they're getting is the information from the claimant as opposed to getting that same information from the doctors. And so if investigations are happening, and it sounds like they are for May's brother, then it is important for the primary doctor to say, he has got these following five symptoms. Here are the things that we're doing to try and figure out what's going on. But in the meantime, I am continuing to see my patient. These symptoms are valid. They are supportable. They absolutely prevent him from working. And I think that that validation of those kinds of symptoms at the very least creates a good foundation for me to challenge the claim against the insurer. And that's really where I'm getting at here is that this is the type of profile of claimants that we deal with a lot because disability insurers deny, because they don't do what they're supposed to do, and us as lawyers get involved to advocate on behalf of individuals like this. Because it is not a one-size-fits-all. Likely, there's going to be lots of investigations and further investigations into May's brother's health conditions. And if it is chronic fatigue, John, there's no solution. It's not something that is going to be treated by by taking you know a medication or doing one treatment or another. It can be very multifaceted, very prolonged, and it's typically something that people suffer with for the rest of their lives. So if in fact May's brother is going to get that type of diagnosis down the road, it will be very important for he and his family to assert their, their legal rights in a legal claim. I do not expect that there will be a recipe for success here if they continue to try and quote unquote play ball with the insurer. Because no doubt the insurer has said to them, John, oh, you know, we are denying because we don't think there's enough information here. But hey, why don't you appeal our decision, provide us with a little bit more information, and we'll just look at this one more time. Well, what does that serve? I mean, you're getting the same adjuster who's already said no to you the first time, who's going to look at the same information or repackaged information that concludes the same thing, which is that May's brother can't work. It is human nature that that adjuster is very unlikely to change their mind. And there's no requirement for them to change their mind, John. There's no requirement in anywhere in the policy that says appeal, first of all. And there's nothing that says to the adjuster, okay, now when people appeal, now you have to get a doctor to look at this, or maybe you need to approve this claim and give them some rehabilitation support or some time. There's no guidance like that. All it's doing is frustrating the claimant in the process of trying to figure out what's happening with their health. And so I cannot recommend enough that if there is a subjectively based claim and your disability insurer has said to you, there's not enough information, I would much prefer asserting those rights via a legal claim, allowing me to advocate advocate on your behalf, and actually taking the disability claim out of the hands of the adjuster who's already said no to you, sometimes multiple times. May, thank you so much for that email again. Follow up with a phone call. You probably got the number, but just in case, and if you're listening as well, one 821 
5900 you know i know a question you often get and it's it, this question comes about sometimes because i know the firm does both uh, disability on one side and employment law on the other because there's a lot of uh, cross play between the two and this this may right. hold true for for employment but on the disability side with what you deal with mainly tomorrow is it true that if you belong to a union you can't hire a lawyer for your case or is that different it is different and, I, and yeah. i'm glad that you've asked this question john because i think it's important for our listeners to be reminded of what it is that we're able to do and who we can actually help and the vast majority of unionized people we can absolutely help with their disability claim we can't help on the employment side unfortunately uh, but even then, I'm happy to speak with people about what their rights should be, even in that setting. But the, the core issue is, is that if you're being resisted by your disability insurer on your disability claim and you happen to be a unionized individual, it does not mean that you have to go through your union to assert your rights. In right. fact, what I always suggest to people is just send me the collective agreement. It, it takes me five minutes at most to navigate through it. And sometimes they're very long, but that's no problem. I can look through 100 pages, 150 pages, no problem. I will find the sections that are relevant and inform myself because I know the law on this, John. I know what mm -hmm. the interior courts and other courts in the country have said about unionized individuals. And it's only a small sliver of group of individuals who are unionized and must go through their union to challenge the disability insurer for benefits. And that's, that's really the core issue is that do you fall into that category? And that's why we look at the collective agreement. So, you know, I'm sort of thinking about people like teachers. Uh, I'm thinking about individuals who work in, you know, warehouse or factory settings, auto manufacturers. There's so many different types of clients and claimants that we deal with who are unionized and it has not been a barrier at all whatsoever to champion their legal rights via a legal claim, as opposed to sending them back to their union uh, and a group of individuals, frankly, who just don't know how to run a file like this, how to get the insurance company to come to the table, which is what we do day in and day out. Good stuff. And want to move on to a couple more emails here with our remaining time. Lou, you're up next. Thank you so much for sending that along. And you have time, anytime, to send an email. It might not appear on a show, but it will get an answer regardless from Tamar and her team. That address, again, help at disabilityrights.ca and follow that up with a phone call and talk to a, a live person tomorrow or her team as well. 1-855-821-5900. This is the Disability Law Show. There's more coming up. Hang on. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. Great having you here. John Scholes, Tamara Gopian, Samfiru, Tamarkin, LLP. That's where Tamara is from. Always ready for that phone call and to help you out anytime with your matter. If it's just a discussion, just a question or two, bring it on. That's uh, 1-855-821- 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. Okay, as mentioned before the break, Lou is standing by with his, e uh, his email. Good stuff says, guys, I'm on LTD for generalized anxiety. And so far, my insurance has been supportive. But uh, Lou here is looking ahead. He's, 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 he's reading the tea leaves. He says, at what point would I need a lawyer in the event that they discontinue or deny my benefits? What do you think? Yeah, so Lou, look, I, I think yes, in the sense that your rights, your legal rights to start a legal claim against the disability insurer for benefits crystallizes really when they've said no, or alternatively, when you've got a reasonable expectation that your benefits are not going to continue to be paid. Okay. And that's really what time clock, that, that's the time when we say your time clock starts to run from the moment that they say no to the point where you've got to assert your legal rights. And that window of time is usually two years from that first denial point. Having said this, though, John, 
I mean, I don't want Lou to feel that he cannot actually contact us or speak to us about his disability claim before that point occurs. Because much like I was speaking about at the top of the show, there can be a lot of value in having a conversation with a disability lawyer before your claim actually gets denied. Or maybe it doesn't get denied, but at least you then understand, okay, if what's happening with my disability insurer is quote unquote normal, is this something that I should expect? Maybe Tamar can help me navigate a difficult adjuster or what can I do at this stage of my rehabilitation, so on and so forth. And so I don't ever want to give people the impression that they have to wait until that denial letter is issued before they contact us. Quite the contrary, because I think that there have been such good value, I think, from my clients where we've had prior discussions before that denial, and then ultimately the denial comes. We've developed a relationship already. I'm very familiar with the background of their health issues and what's been going on with the insurer, and we're ready to act. And so at that point is when we would formally notify the insurance company that we're involved on behalf of this client, but there's nothing preventing us from providing that advice and support behind the scenes until we get to that point. So look, he describes to us a generalized anxiety condition. Um, John, I think what worries me a little bit with Lou, given that that's his disabling health issue, is that the adjusters and insurance companies just lack a little bit of sensitivity and understanding around how disabling these kinds of health issues can be. And mental health conditions in particular can be a challenge for most adjusters to deal with because it is not a one-size-fits-all. It doesn't fit neatly within a box in terms of you take this medication, you do three treatment sessions, and you should be good to go and return back to work. I have even seen suggestions from adjusters that say, well, you know, you can keep getting your treatment, but why shouldn't you be working while you get treatment? Lots of people do that, go to therapy and they still work. And I think the biggest problem with that kind of analysis is that it lacks any understanding of how disabling mental health can be. And to suggest to someone who's off work that you should just go back to work anyway, even though you have not recovered, really may just result in having three steps being taken back, re-triggering health issues. I mean, if the return to work isn't going to be successful, I just don't buy it. But of course, that's what the disability insurers want, because if you do, then you're not going to have to pay your LTD benefit. They don't have to pay you that amount. And so I think for Lou, it may make some sense to have some touch points and some conversations around what's happening with a disability claim. And then in the event that there is a cutoff at some point, if his own treatment providers are recommending that he's still not capable of working as a result of his health, then we're there. We would get involved more formally and assert those legal rights by way of a legal claim. Lou, nicely done. Appreciate it. Here's the phone number again, one 821 5900 In a couple of segments ago, I mentioned another place for you to ask questions anytime freely, anonymous, uh, anonymously called MyDisabilityQuestions.com. We'll get to one from there tomorrow. It's good that these, uh, these show up uh, on the show as well. It says, I'm currently on LTD and approaching the two-year mark. The insurance company switched adjusters who was determined to have me return to work pushing me to get a knee brace and has me doing physio for the second time. I was a letter carrier for 33 years. I have issues with both knees, hip, and back. I know, right? Uh, I do not feel I am physically capable of doing the job. I previously did the physio they sent me to and attempted to return to work program and was unable to make it through. Now I'm going through the same thing a year later and fear the same results as the first time. What do I do now? Look, I appreciate this question, and I agree with you, John, that MyDisabilityQuestions.com is a really great place to anonymously post what's happening and get a quick response from us online 
uh, about your situation. And oftentimes, though, we recommend a further conversation, a further call. And I think with this uh, request, <laughs> that's probably where it's headed. But I want to be able to provide a little bit of context as to why. Look, in a situation like this, when the insurer is trying again the same thing they've already tried just because they've got a new adjuster, and if it didn't work the first time, I agree. What's telling anybody that it's going to work the second time? And so I really do think that this individual's healthcare providers need to advocate to some extent. They need to put out there what has been tried, attempted, and has not succeeded already as it relates to this individual's physical health issues. Because it could be that this new adjuster's picked up the file, hasn't really thoroughly reviewed it, is trying to put their tools into place, their their few things that they have that are that they're able to do in their adjudication to try and bring the claim to an end. And if it's already been attempted, then I'm scratching my head as to why they're trying this again. At the end of the day, if your own medical team is recommending that you remain off work, and this is in any setting at this point, I would imagine for this individual, then that should then in theory continue to have your LTD benefits to be paid. You do have an obligation to participate in therapy options that the disability insurer identifies. Like most policies will say, John, that if we think you should do this, then you must do this. Otherwise, we will not pay you your LTD benefit. But in a situation that's described here, when that's already been attempted, this is what I'm concerned about is that at what point can you say to the insurer, okay, enough's enough. We've already tried this. I'm not doing this again. And it is okay to say that if there's a medical basis to do so. And so that's why I'm recommending this individual get engaged with his own treatment providers or her own treatment providers and get that opinion across to the adjuster, this aggressive adjuster who's trying everything again and say, hey, we tried this already and this is going to harm me more than do good. I need to not be continuing to pursue these kinds of treatment options. And with that, we're just about ready to wrap. Fantastic stuff. Appreciate all your contributions, either on mydisabilityquestions.com or through that email. You can continue to use it, of course, now that the hour-long show is done and you will get a reply. You will have some correspondence. And uh, tomorrow we'll make sure her team is all over that. How do you do it? Again, I'll give it to you one more time. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email we always use. Mydisabilityquestions.com. And then that phone number. Pick up and make that call. Have a chat. one 855 5900. So there you go, and we'll catch you next time right here on the Disability Law Show.